0: how all the technology works behind it, and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving, and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrumbacher.com forward slash podcast course, and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to our monthly book club, and welcome our author, the strong and powerful Tom Jacobs. Tom, are you ready to do this? You bet. Excellent. Let's do this. Tom is a partner with Huckleberry Capital Management, and he is the author of How to Retire on Dividends, Earn a Safe 8%, Leave Your Principle Intact. I'm excited to have you back on the show to talk about the book, Tom, but tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and what motivated you to put pen to paper. My
1: personal life, well, I don't know how many details your listeners want to <laughs> know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I live in Martha, Texas, a small town of 2000. I'd always lived in cities. Uh, our firm – I've got to say this. My partners will get upset if I don't. Our firm has uh, clients in 25 states and three foreign countries. And I get to live in beautiful Martha. Nice. And serve
0: them. So I it's it. a good deal. Yeah. And, uh, and what was the motivation for the book?
1: Well, I – what we found uh, increasingly that in I work with clients was that they were really, really concerned about a low interest world. And it's no secret that saver, savers have been penalized for a while. And Brett and I had done a lot of research and realized that there were opportunities out there that are available to individual investors like your listeners that they won't get at the big firms.
0: Got it. Okay. And so what you were hoping people get out of reading it, it's maybe it's turn the lights on, pull pull the curtain back, help people recognize or realize that there's opportunities out there that maybe they weren't aware of?
1: I think so. That they don't have to settle for two, three or four percent. They don't have to settle for dividend aristocrats that are overpriced and have greater risk of, of dropping than the dividend benefit they'll be getting.
0: Got it. Okay. And so helping people to have a secure retirement and not have to go to work at Walmart. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Well, well yes. OK, that's a little provocative on the cover. <laughs> I understand. But, you know, you you, you want to enjoy you, you want the reader to enjoy the experience. So have lively quotations. Right. Uh, but I think I think that's true. We we. So let's take the four percent rule. One of our major uh Desires in this book is to debunk the four percent rule and you know that uh, As well as I do that this idea that uh, okay given certain assumptions about how much your account will make uh, Well, you can withdraw four percent a year and die cashing your last check problem with that is people don't <laughs> People don't want to go to zero they don't know when they'll die mm-hmm. And so if we can turn that 4% into 6%, 7%, and 8%, we get a no-withdrawal portfolio. That is, they don't have to withdraw their principal. They can just use the income.
0: And I just I can't imagine that there's too many people who are listening uh, who would not be interested in that. Um, that this This 4% rule, that's been around for a long time.
1: It has. And actually, it's really interesting— the guy that invented it, uh, uh, William Bengen, uh, was an MIT aeronautical engineering grad, so not too not too dumb. Mm-hmm. And he, after a while, he you know he enjoyed his career, but he found more and more and more that people were asking him questions about money and so on. He was he invested, and he decided to become a certified financial planner. Uh, which uh, I, I have no idea but I bet it paid less at the time mm-hmm. than uh, aeronautical engineering and he found that the number one question that people, well, okay, number one and number two questions that people asked were do I have enough and how long will it last for, re- for retirement? Do I have enough money to retire and how long will it last? And he did all this research and he found that there was no period if you took the average earnings uh, from a Portfolio that he doesn't necessarily disclose all the components, but indexes. If you, if you were to uh, take periods from 1926 to 1976 and you stuck with a 4% withdrawal rate, you'd, you'd do fine. You'd never last beyond uh, you know, your actuarial expected life, that kind of thing.
0: Got it. All right. So that, that's where it came from. And I, did did uh, you mention when abouts that, that he came up with that?
1: In the 80s, in the 90s. 90s. Yep. The research uh, was, uh, the data was uh, uh, verified or replicated by something called the Trinity study. And that's, so that's become a rule of thumb. Yeah. And you know, you know how that is, sure. right? Uh, people just start repeating things and repeating mm-hmm. things and don't stop and say, is that really true? Can I, you know, can I do better?
0: And I, I is, I, I do know that that's clearly still the rule of thumb. It's probably being dialed back a little bit. Um, but are there still a lot of folks that, 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 that just do the planning based on just, we're going to take out 4% every year and and sort of cross our fingers.
1: That's what I think. Uh, and certainly based on my experience, the, If you go, if you walk into Wells Fargo or Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch, uh, God help you, um, (laughs) they will, this is what they'll set you up with. And it's very convenient to have rules like this because if you have $1.7 trillion under management like Wells Fargo, what are you most worried about? Lawsuits. Mm. And so if if you can apply a rule that everybody else is doing and it's industry-wide, Well, you may not do your clients that do do that well by your clients. You won't hurt them, but uh, you'll keep the lawyers at bay. And that's what I think what's behind a lot of it.
0: Got it. I think that that certainly makes sense. And while you and I, Tom, can't know that for sure, let's just let's just go with that assumption. So. All right. (laughs) (coughs) So I'm an ex lawyer. man. (laughs) Okay. Well, fair enough. You know, is 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 anybody ever an ex lawyer or are you just not practicing anymore? How does that work?
1: We call ourselves uh, recovering.
0: Recovering. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Excellent. <laughs> all right. So, so, so the idea here being, yeah, that's I, I, I guess if that's all I've got to go with is is just take off four percent and and hopefully I'll make it. But 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 you say no, and and even in this really almost zero interest rate environment, there's still opportunities. So talk talk to a bus talk to us about. <laughs> Talk to a bus about uh, <laughs> about about what some of these opportunities are, or I think maybe the
1: wheels just fell off that yep,
0: bus. Yep, yep, yeah. it's over. It's on fire. <laughs> it crashed. <laughs> uh,
1: so there are two main areas um, that I like to point to, and both of them depend on a metaphor that I think your listeners will grasp pretty quickly, and this is the elephant in the bathtub metaphor. And the elephant uh, is too big to get into the tub without splashing the water all over the place. Now, imagine that you and I, go with me here, that we're (laughs) baby elephants. We can get in the tub without splashing it all over. The big elephant is the big institutions. Let's take Wells Fargo with the 1.7 trillion. They cannot get in the tub if we think of the tub as smaller companies or stocks. There's just not enough liquidity, which happens to go with water in the tub, right? Liquidity. <laughs> they can't get in there. They can't buy uh, enough of the particular smaller company because it just it doesn't move the needle for them. There's not enough liquidity, not enough shares traded per day. And so you and I um, can get in that tub. We, we can buy stock without sloshing the price all over or or sometimes not even getting the liquidity and i'm not talking about tiny pico caps or penny stocks that trade by appointment i'm talking about one and five and ten billion dollar companies perfectly good companies Hmm. but you uh but the big folks can't buy them okay fair enough i should probably uh uh, lead you a little on this so (laughs) Oh, George, you'd probably like me to talk about what some of those companies are.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: I know. I got a little nervous there. That's funny. It's like, you know, I, 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 silences are always hard.
0: Oh, for me. sure. Yes. Take my hand. <laughs> <Lead> me, sir.
1: <laughs> I know. Uh, right, because you really need it. You're I, only like one of the best financial uh, podcast people out there, by the way. Oh, so. stop. Oh, stop. Right well, I always have a good time with you. All right. So I break them down into two categories. Brett and I do. And one is closed end bond funds. And there are some amazing managers of bond funds you can get that are traded like stocks. Uh, they're not like open end mutual funds that we're used to maybe when we first start investing. And they, uh, We can get people like Jeffrey Gundlach, the famous bond god that you see quoted all the time in Barron's and so on. Uh, We can buy his expertise and we can buy it at a discount to net asset value, I don't wanna uh, get too deep in the weeds, but we can buy it at a discount from the value of its uh, bonds minus its debt. Think of it as your net worth. We can buy dollars for 85 cents. Sometimes, because just like stocks, some of these bond funds' uh, emotion goes against them. Price sells off. And you can get really good yields from these, but there's just not enough to go around for big institutions.
0: Got it. Okay. So. <clears throat> So the baby elephants and the big elephant—it's—it's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's coming together for me. So it really—that's—that turns I out to—it <laughs> turns out to be a perfect, a perfect metaphor or 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 analogy for it. Okay, now is there any reason that that, that people would be nervous about investing in a closed-end bond fund?
1: Uh, I don't think so. The particularly if you and this information is available, CEF Connect on any of, uh, which is a great site, CEF Connect, closed-end fund, and also on a particular bond fund's uh, website. So you can see what kind of a discount you're getting. Uh, I think that as long as leverage debt uh, is under 35%, the risk is tiny. That's why we feel comfortable saying safe, Mm -hmm. uh, that the debt will become a problem. I think that... uh, So there's that, and there's buying at a discount. And if you buy a dollar for 85 cents, you're already getting um, what the value investors like to call margin of safety. You get some downside protection. You also get some built-in upside if uh, that discount narrows, um, which it tends to do at least somewhat over time. So that's kind of how you can get bonds, and you can hire the best bond managers that are out there. Um, and, and by the way, the yields I'm talking about are after the fees. The, they get paid. They certainly get paid nicely. Uh, but we make money and these y- kind of yields are net of their fees.
0: Got it. All right. So – If if you could boil down, like, really some of the main ideas that that you really want to reinforce to people that that have read the book and now they're coming back and they're listening to this and you say, okay, that was a lot of information and probably a lot of things that you weren't familiar with before. Make sure that that I really want to stress these ideas.
1: I think that. One of the uh, uh, one of the top, 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 is that most people have no idea that the best performing stock class, asset class, uh, or industry area in the stock market since the 1960s has been, I won't put you on the spot.
0: I wouldn't be able to answer that, so.
1: Right. People say, oh, tech, you know, because they think of big winners. Uh, or pharma, big pharma. It's actually real estate investment trusts. <laughs> Who knew, right? And, or as we call REITs. And part of that is that if you look up their price, you don't get total returns. So you see, and since they're paying most of their return out in dividends, you think, well, they haven't done anything. But they have outperformed the S&P 500 and all other uh, in- investing industry groups since the 1960s. And this is something that people really need to know. And that's the other half of the portfolio besides the bond funds. The other thing is that your listeners need to know how many books have been written about getting rich in real estate? I mean, you and I, there would be libraries. Many. Right. Well, we can't own downtown New York commercial class A real estate, but through a real estate investment trust, we can. We can get all the benefits. We get 90% of the rent checks paid out to us. Uh, we don't have to collect the rent. We don't have to fix the plumbing. Thank goodness. <laughs> right? Since I'm, I'm, my plumbing skills are very limited. Uh, and so I would say I would really like people to come away from this book knowing that they can be real estate moguls by choosing good REITs and REITs that will raise their dividend over time. Uh, other than that, of course, the main point that uh, they don't have to settle – for the kind of measly yields um, that they're taught to expect.
0: Got it. And how far in advance do people need to start implementing these strategies in order to actually be able to get that safe 8%?
1: Well, oh, that brings up another point. (laughs) Uh, The earlier, the better. And part of this is we – this is not going to happen every year. It will be more or less. But you're not just getting that static yield. Uh, the REIT side of the portfolio will raise its dividends on average about 4% a year. The bond funds, it'll stay stable, so you'll get about a 2% increase. So let's see how that works. If the yield when you buy is 7%, let's say. Next year, 7.12, then 7.24, and so on, and it compounds. Now imagine after 10 years, or 20 years and you're retired, you get an inflation raise every year and you're not spending down your principal. And now I've forgotten what you asked
0: <laughs> because I didn't answer what you yeah, asked. It's, but, it's just a matter of how far in advance people. Oh can.
1: yeah. Okay. So the point, the point of that is that the, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of get excited about sure. this stuff, right? So you get, the sooner you do it, the more yield you're making later. That's yield on your purchase price. I think of the example of Buffett, who bought Coke in the late 1980s, and he's making 64% a year on his purchase price from dividends today. Now, it's 31 years later, that's a very long time, but it shows the power of a rising dividend. So, the earlier you can do it, the better. And I, I recommend five to 10 years before retirement, you start moving to this. We do not subscribe to the, that rule that says your age in bonds and then 100 minus, let's see, 100 minus that uh, in stocks. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm 63, so that would be 63 in bonds, 37% in stocks. We don't subscribe to that. We think that this 50-50 portfolio will, works really well all the way through. Uh, we, can't, we really need the inflation protection, and I would say the sooner the better. The final advice—well, not final—I would hate to end this prematurely. <laughs> but the but the the thing is, if you're a young person listening and you're 25, 30, 35, and you you know pay down your debt and maybe you've bought a house and you have you have a little extra little extra left over, though <clears throat> some people with two young kids might find that difficult. <laughs> I don't know anyone like that, George. Uh, But so the sooner you can, you don't have to get fancy. If you're willing to do this kind of slow, steady compounding when you're 30 or 35, you never have to really think about this. You don't have to find the next uh, Amazon. Your compounding will be great.
0: You're asking people to 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 take a slow and steady wins the wins the race and a long term time horizon, Tom. I don't know I don't know in 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 the 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 FOMO and the YOLO generations we're dealing with, if 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 that's gonna fly. But I think
1: I have a lot of faith. (laughs) I have a lot of faith. I've read that dopamine in our brains Mm. is is highest as when we're teens and by thirty it's petering out. So I like to think that if I can get to the People between 30 and 40, you know, I think it's possible. But, yeah, okay. It's, nope. not, it's not an easy climb.
0: No, I think that's excellent, though. I love it. Anything that, that, uh, that, that since, since you wrote it, anything that, that you wish you could go back and add or take out?
1: Well, we, yes, one small thing. We've added a couple of things to the portfolio uh, that we call tomorrow's dividend aristocrats today. Uh, And dividend aristocrats, of course, are companies that have raised their dividends annually for 25 years. And what we find are they're too expensive and the risk of dropping is too great. But we can find some really, really high-yielding companies today uh, that are selling at great values. And we've included a couple of them um, in our information that we send out to people. Uh, and if, and the next edition of the book, whenever that happens, we'll add a couple of dividend machines, we call them.
0: All right. Excellent. All right. So I think that, uh, I think that was excellent advice right there. Thinking about it in terms of your five to 10 years into, uh, before retirement, but also, hey, if you're, if you're in your thirties, this is a strategy that, uh, that can really probably get you where you want to go. So any other advice? Yes. Funny you should ask. (laughs) So one of the things I get a
1: lot with clients uh, at Huckleberry, oh, by the way, why did we call it Huckleberry? You want to know? Yes. Huckleberries cannot be grown or cultivated anywhere except where they appear naturally, which is mostly in Montana. This is not known. So we like to think of ourselves as rare and can't be cultivated. And I don't mean cultivated in the, like, highly cultural sense, uh, we can't <laughs> can't be duplicated. Uh, so when you, let's say you leave a job, and this is another time when I think it's really useful to think about this strategy, if you're not facing retirement uh, anytime soon, is that let's say, uh, George, you leave uh, Hewlett Packard, right, with a nice big severance package, and you're gonna get another job, you're maybe in your 40s, well, what do you do with uh, your 401k? When you roll that over, if you dump it all into new holdings at once, like a Vanguard S&P 500 fund, you're essentially timing the market. You're taking on a lot of risk. Right. But if you do something like this, you take the timing risk out of it. You're locking in your initial yield. The yield will grow over time. And you don't have to worry about what the account balance is doing now and then. And if you're... If you're doing dollar-cost averaging because you're not pulling the income out, it's genius. If I could get to everybody changing a job and rolling over their 401K with this, I would die happy.
0: I like it. Excellent. Any recommended reading for you? Say, oh, aside, from, aside from my books, here's, well, here, yes. here's, here's one other.
1: <laughs> well... Now you're putting me on the spot, George. Uh, well, sort
0: of, sort of, Tom, I I, I, I I, sent over that I was going to ask you that, that you didn't read it does not mean I'm putting you on the spot. So
1: don't don't embarrass me <laughs> in, front of the, in front of your fans here. Well, my prior book, uh, uh, sorry to, to blow my own horn here. My prior book is uh, Rule of 72, How to Compound Your Money and... Uh, uncover hidden stock profits and the point of that is like the most of that book is just debunking myths i very short pieces like i write 500 words on this and 500 words on that and i just take on a lot of conventional wisdom and uh explain why it's the wrong way to think about things and it's i think it's a pretty good introduction to investing for people
0: love it All right. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you and where can they get a copy of How to Retire on Dividends?
1: They can learn about me at investhuckleberry.com. Investhuckleberry.com. And for your readers, excuse me, for your listeners (laughs) only, listeners only, if they email me at tom at investhuckleberry.com Tom at investhuckleberry.com. I will uh, sell them or send them a copy of the book for 20% off Amazon, including shipping. Awesome. (laughs) Only for you. No one else gets that.
0: Thank you, sir. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Tom your appreciation and share today's show, as well as how to retire on dividends with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to investhuckleberry.com. Check out all the great stuff that Tom has working on, or Tom is working on. You can find out how you can work directly with him and his firm. Shoot him an email at tom at investhuckleberry.com, and you'll get 20% off the book. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Tom.
1: Thank you, George. It's a
0: blast. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.